0: All right, Um, well, it is an honor and a privilege to be with you guys here tonight. Uh, Just to give you a little background on myself, um, I am a graduate from Franciscan University of Steubenville from their mental health counseling program. Uh, I've been here in Atlanta for a little over a year and a half working at Holy Family Counseling Center. I've been working with uh, couples, families, and individuals. Uh, Primarily, a lot of my work is done uh, in the emotionally focused therapy Uh, Background, which really looks into attachment. And I have some exciting things that I want to share with you uh, tonight that kind of come from that background and uh, how we kind of approach our relationships. Um, The first thing we want to kind of look at when we talk about relationships is really understanding, right, the foundation of who we are, right? Because if we want to understand how to navigate life, understand how to navigate relationships, we have to understand what we're made for. What we're made for so i really think when we stop and pause a lot of us i think we've been told from a young age that life is about happiness it's about the pursuit of happiness and what i would kind of question tonight and and offer you to ponder is that is misleading rather if we look at both i think a theological and also a psychological perspective we see a a dynamic shift that gives us a little bit clearer of a way of how to pursue through relationships and through life. And the first thing I want to reflect on is just as we look into Scripture, right? God revealed that we are made in His image and likeness. And as Christ revealed Himself to be a communion of persons in the Trinity. And how John revealed Christ and God to be love. And so if we look at this, really what we're meant for is to give and to receive love. And so what I want to reflect with you guys tonight is how do we enter into relationship with ourselves? How do we give and receive love to ourselves, to others, and to God? Tonight we're not going to really go into God. It's a little bit more theology. It's a little bit more uh, spirituality. So tonight I'm really going to try to delve into the important aspects of love of self and love of other when we talk about the context of relationships. One of the things I want to keep in mind to kind of give you this image, right? I think a lot of times what we end up doing in our relationships and in our lives is we pursue the fruit of happiness and contentment. But the problem is, is we do it in the absence of love. And when we separate, happiness and contentment from love, we can keep the fruit for so long, but eventually it'll spoil. So what I invite you to consider if you're struggling to find happiness or contentment in your life or in your relationships, the question that we want to ponder on is how are we living our life in love? Because if we live in love, fruit and contentment is a natural fruit. It flows from living in a life of love. So this is something I invite you to ponder as we kind of go through our journey tonight, um, as we look and understand what does it mean to be in relationship? What does it mean to be in a context of communion with another? One of the things I want to start with is, what is this, how do we understand this love in the context of our larger life, right? I know, I think last month, you guys talked a little bit about vocation. And so one of the things I want to offer is, It's very important when we're trying to understand living love in our lives that we start with our identity, knowing that we are made in His image and likeness. We are made for love, to love, for love. Now the second component of this is if we go back to Scripture, what did He make us in? He made us male and female. So there is an office by which we experience and express this love through a sonship or daughtership. And this is really important because when we live out our vocations, right? And in this particular sense, when I refer to vocations, what I mean is the orientation that we have towards others and God. We live out our husbandry, our, our spousalhood as father and husband, our wife and mother. And then this goes to our mission, which a lot of times is our occupation or how we're kind of living our lives because that serves our vocation. And one of the things I want you to keep in mind here that's so important is we can focus on these, we get really caught up in these, and we forget this. So what I offer a lot of times for individuals who are really struggling right now trying to navigate life, or where they may be or kind of unsatisfied where they may find themselves, is I invite them to reflect on their sonship, reflect on their daughtership, because I will guarantee you, if you're unsatisfied with where you find yourself now, you're not going to be satisfied in a marriage. You're not going to be satisfied in a relationship. So what I invite you to do is at any point in your life, we can always come back here to reflect on that relationship, to reflect on that dynamic that we have with the Lord. And it wouldn't matter wherever we, we find ourselves, whether we be single, whether we be married, whether we be consecrated, we can live and that love. And then we can draw on that resource in any relationship we find ourselves. And this becomes really important for one of the main things to understand when we enter in a relationship. And it's the, it's the most beautiful aspect and it is the most terrifying aspect about a relationship. And that is a relationship is gift. It requires the free will of two people to consent to a relationship. This dynamic terrified me, right? I remember when I was in college, um, there was this girl, I really liked her. She hung out a lot with us. And um, it took me a while to work up the courage uh, and I went to go ask her, This, this, this was not my wife at the time, um or this is not who my wife ended up being but I, I ended up asking her and um she told me no she wasn't interested She was actually interested in somebody else in my friend group uh, and i remember how difficult that was because i would see her all the time when we would hang out and how hard it was to face her and how in prayer coming to this understanding that she was never mine I can't claim her. I can't own her. She was the Lord's. And how a prayer of mine became anytime I saw her was to give her over to the Lord. This really played out when I was preparing for marriage because for me, a little personal side note, I was kind of terrified that it wouldn't happen. I was afraid the Lord would take it from me. I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm so scared of this. And what consoled me in that moment was remembering that. Relationship is gift. That at the end of the day, I have to give her over to the Lord. She is not mine. She was never mine, and she'll never be mine. I'm only gonna be in her life for a time. And at some point, I will have to give her over. And it's understanding that beauty that actually allowed me to learn how to appreciate our relationship even more. Because I learned that I can just let go and just be with her and appreciate the moments we had and not have to worry about anxiety or worries getting in the way of being present or attentive to her. And I invite this, that this is a very hard reality, but a beautiful reality of relationship because it is a sense of two people coming together and choosing each other and the beauty in that of entering in communion with one another. One of the things is when we can live life as gift, this naturally leads us to learn how do we respect this gift of self and other so a lot of this comes down to boundaries i know we're probably all familiar we've probably heard that word thrown out a lot right you gotta have good boundaries right um so one of my favorite images for boundaries is not fences right fences are very solid where i think a better image for boundaries is kind of like these water buoys that you always grew up seeing in the pools or like in a pond or in the ocean right the kind of deviate what is kind of the safe because when we look at boundaries right they do promote emotional safety understanding responsibilities navigating conflicts and creating that mutual respect for each other but in any relationship especially in the beginning there is a adjustment period there is a natural sense of we're kind of figuring each other out we're kind of figuring out what this relationship looks like right and so there's going to be this natural ebb and flow in the relationship trying to figure out what is good for us, what is good for our relationship. So I want to encourage all of you, if you're kind of like, oh, I'm in this place, maybe in a relationship, but it's, it's a little difficult, and I'm not for sure about the boundaries, I want to rest at ease that you might just be in the beginning phase of your relationship trying to figure this out, right? I'll give you an example. Um, one of the times uh, when I was dating my wife, um, we were... Uh, infatuated like all couples in the beginning and uh, we spend hours with each other right and you know how awesome it is to spend you know time with your significant other Um, but sometimes this would go up to like one two o'clock in the morning and you know you have class the next day you have work the next day and you're just like this is not good this is not helpful for us like we're so tired and exhausted and a part of what we had to reflect on was that in order to actually love each other and respect each other, we actually had to say no, staying up till one is not good. We had to cut it at 10 because that's what would respect our boundaries, help us be present to other people in our lives and to each other the next day. And so a lot of times what we want to be focused on or attentive to in our boundaries is how does this create mutual respect and self-love, right? Now there's a lot of things that we could talk about when it comes to boundaries. But I want to focus on one aspect tonight. Because it's the most important aspect. That's emotional safety. Emotional safety is the greatest predictor of the health of a marriage. It is not personality compatibility. It is not faith. It is not even... um, What's the other one that was coming to my mind here? Well, those are not the important ones. The important ones is emotional safety. It is the greatest predictor of divorce, actually. If it is not present, it is the greatest predictor of divorce, sometimes up to 90% predictability. And so tonight, what I wanna reflect with you guys is how do we cultivate emotional safety in our relationships? What does this look like? How do we navigate this? Because this is difficult. This is not easy. And so tonight, as we continue through this talk, we're going to reflect on what does this require? What does this entail? And maybe be surprised, but the first step of this is actually love of self. Right? I think as Catholics and as Christians, right, sometimes this notion can seem kind of like, whoa, I told that was a bad thing. That's not good. Right? We're supposed to forget ourselves. We're supposed to die to self. Right? And I will admit there's an aspect to that. But even Jesus, right, Jesus reveals in scripture, right, when it asks what is the greatest commandment, he's able to share that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. A profound reality that in order to love another, I need to be attentive to how a, I love myself and this is important because it teaches us an uh, an important lesson which is my pain if I know how to attend to it I know how to attend to another's and where we want to be attentive to here is that my pain is just as important as the others not more not less but I do want to be attentive that there is a distinction I think to be made between selfishness and self-love And the way that I invite you guys to kind of think about this is selfishness really is about distracting, pulling ourselves away from relationship. Because what we do is we get self-absorbed in ourselves. And I'm going to share an image to kind of what this kind of looks like here in a little bit. But it's a sense of we actually get caught up in ourselves and we don't know how to access our pain and we don't know how to share that with others. And so we seek distractions or we ask people to meet our needs in a way that's not healthy. Where, as in self-love, we can be attentive to our pain. We can look at our pain, and we can invite somebody into that, to consider that. And then from that, move out into the world and be able to live in communion. One of the ways that I uh, kind of visualize this is, uh, if you ever heard that visualization of that like, closet or that room that you carry in your house that you keep and under lock and key and don't want anybody to go in there because it's just all the baggage and hurt that's in there, Well, for the selfish person, it's locked. They avoid it. They don't go near it because they don't know how, right? I'm not trying to sit here and say selfishness is bad. It's just the sense of a lot of times these people don't know how to attend to them. They don't know how to be attentive to them. And what ends up happening is they stay in the house because it's too scary to go out into the world and have a relationship. And so what they do is they invite people to come into the house to meet the need of being with them. The problem is, is that if you're in the house and you're trying to meet a need, that just becomes kind of toxic and it ends up pushing people away and kind of sometimes keeping these people stuck. And as we're going to look at, one of the things here is how do I handle woundedness when I've never been given safety? And we'll talk about some of the ways that we look at that. Where self-love, it's being able to go into that space. Now we can never go into that space alone. Somebody taught us how to do it. Somebody walked with us into this journey to say, I want to go with you into that closet. I want to be there with you. And in that, being able to hold us in that, and that giving us the strength to be able to leave the house to say, I want to invite somebody else to be in this, somebody else to attend to this. And it allows us to have that relationship, because what we find is this is how I learned to give of myself. Now, one of the important things I think to just note when we look at self-love is is emotions, right? I think emotions a lot of times get a bad rap, right? A lot of times we kind of told that they're irrational. I would argue that they're one of the most rational things out there. Because if you really understand emotions, you have to understand them in a context. And when you understand them in the context, they make sense from the person's perspective that is feeling it. And if I'm gonna give myself to another, I have to be attentive to what's going on inside of me, how I'm experiencing the world, what's happening for me. Because emotion is a reflection of how we are called to relationship. All emotion is either a response towards drawing us into relationship or protecting us from harm, from a relationship. And so it is important and intensive to be mindful of what are emotions, how do I be mindful of them? How do I be attentive to them? For some of us, this is really difficult because we went through some really difficult things and we had to push emotions to the side. And I invite you, if you kind of in this talk and feeling that's really hard for me to feel, it's really hard for me to get in touch with these emotions, I invite you maybe to, to reach out to either some priests or leaders, some people that you feel comfortable with, or maybe even pursue counseling because it's a way of how we learn to give of self, how to give of myself to another. Now, the next aspect is, is love of other, right? And there's actually two components to loving, uh, to loving the other, right? Those scripture quotes are just up there because obviously we all know this one. This one's not that, not, not that difficult um, for us to comprehend. The two aspects is giving of self And the reception of the other and both of these require emotional safety there can be no exchange of gift if there is no safety and both of these require vulnerability and tenderness and if these things aren't present it's not that you can't have a relationship it's just that your relationship will be stunted it'll stagnate so What do we do with these? Well, first I wanna share with you the three big things that get in the way of emotional safety, right? The first one is if I feel unacceptable or unlovable. Typically, this comes out through two ways, through neglect. I feel unattended, I feel unseen. And the other is being told that I can't have a struggle or limitations. Being told that those limitations and struggles are kind of an inconvenience. The second is if I feel alien or foreign. A lot of times the way this comes out is trying to share something with someone that's painful and all of a sudden that person's like overwhelmed. Like that's too much. Like your problem's too big for me. You're kind of like uh, an anomaly. Right? Your problem is too much. Or being told, right, that you're weird. I don't understand. Right? And this negative aspect. The next one is being frightened or terrified. And this a lot of times comes out being attacked, criticized, emotionally, physically. This puts us on our defenses, makes us withdraw or fight back. Now, we all in some aspect or another have experienced these things, right? These are ways because sin has entered the world that we've tried to have to learn to cope with, right? And one of the things that we wanna be attentive to is understanding the framework that we form through these experiences, right? One of the best things that I think have come out of psychology research in the last 15 years is attachment, uh, is attachment research. It is finally helping psychology, I think, catch up with the church and understanding that love is key for what we're meant for. And there's a really interesting study right, that was done back in the 1980s of kids and parents. Right? And so what they did is they brought these kids into a room with their parent. And they observed them. And they would ask the parent to leave for a time period. And they observed the child's behavior. And then they would ask the parent to come back. And they would observe how the mom and child interact, or the parent would interact. In, in these cases, they found three patterns of behaviors. The first pattern is considered secure. So mom would leave, the child would get upset, mom come back, child would calm down, right? The mom was able to soothe the child fast and the child was able, actually able to go back to playing relatively quickly. The second was avoid In these cases, the, the child didn't even respond to mom leaving, right? And when mom came back, the child acted, nothing changed. And the, the researchers noted that in these interchanges, mom typically tended to be more reserved and cold. The third one was ambivalent, which these children, when mom left, would get super upset, super agitated, right? And when mom would come back, would be inconsolable, right? And in these interactions, one of the things that the researchers noticed is that mom would get frustrated or irritated at the child for not being able to console her. And one of the things that the researchers noticed is that the attachment style of the child often reflected the attachment style of the parent. Now, there's been a ton of research and precedent of data to kind of show us that, yes, there is a tendency from the, the attachments that we form as children kind of lead up into adults, but there's very positive research that doesn't mean we have to stay there. We're not stuck. We can learn how to have secure relationships. We can learn to be secure in who we are, right? So the common ways that these do express themselves when we get into adulthoods is secure, they kept that one. I don't know why they changed the other two. Second is dismissive, and the last one is preoccupied. So in secure, what we're able to do is we're able to do what we kind of talked about earlier. We're able to go and access our pain. We're actually able to understand our emotions, understand our emotional needs, and be able to offer those and ask those of the other. Dismissive. These people are a little bit more withdrawn. They're a little bit more autonomy, right? And they can be a little bit more distant. Preoccupied. These are your people pleasers. They want to be attentive. They want to be mindful of how to be uh, uh, getting that love, that attention, but they're also really reactive when they feel like that's not seen or not heard. Now, one of the common things, you know, we can, well, I guess one of the things we can ask ourselves is, what do we do with this information, right? And this information, I think, is very helpful in giving us a framework for how we try to understand pursuing relationships. It gives us a sense of how do we understand what's safe and what's not safe, and how do we cope with that? The dismissive person have learned that it's easier to rely on self than another. And relying on self, I can cope when somebody's not able to be there for me. The preoccupied has learned that in order to get attention, sometimes I have to get really reactive or I have to be attentive because that's when I get that reassurance. And when that reassurance isn't there, how devastating, and terrifying that is. And so the only way they know how to kind of respond in that moment is they get reactive in order to try to get a care response now i say these things but i also want you to be attentive this isn't black or white we're not in a box on these kind of things it's more of a spectrum right we're all kind of somewhere on this spectrum of where we find ourselves with one of these attachments or another and it's just going to be important as you go through a relationship just understanding your tendencies, right? Because the thing is, we all have walls. We all have wounds. And the thing is, is we can't tear these walls down because they served an important feature of protecting ourselves. They allowed us to navigate difficult situations, to navigate difficult moments in life, to get rid of them, right? would almost be trying to tell somebody, you know, to, you know, I was going to say something like really crazy. Like, you know, you got burnt. You touched the stove. We'll touch it again, right? It's kind of crazy. You're not going to touch a stove again after you get burnt. The thing that we want to be attentive to when we're working in a relationship, right, is not so much how do we tear down the walls, but how do we invite a window and a door? A window to be able to assess what I'm seeing in the relationship, to be able to assess what I see going on, and the door so that we can open and invite that person in, right? And this is how we learn to respect where we find the other person and where they're at. Now, there are some things that we can consider, right, if we're struggling with emotional safety and what that looks like, right? Because one of the things that I'll note here is if we've never had emotional safety, if we've never experienced emotional safety, well, how do you know how to create it, right? And so one of the things that I want to be attentive to is these are some tools that we can expect that can be helpful. For some of us, it might be very difficult to use these tools. And in that case, I might encourage you to seek some, some guidance and help with either some people that you really trust or a counselor. Well, there's three main things that I want to invite you guys to consider in cultivating emotional safety in a relationship. The first is validation, right? And now what I mean by validation is not affirmation. A lot of times these two things get conflated and misunderstood. So validation is understanding what's going on for the person and what led to their choices, not necessarily affirming the choices they made. A way that I make this distinction a lot of times is if we think about a child right? Who gets really, really upset and angry because another child's making them annoyed and then they hit them, right? What a parent who's going to validate will go through is be attentive to that child and say, yes, I hear you. I hear how hard it was for you when this child wouldn't leave you alone and you had nothing else to do and all you felt like you could do was just to hit them to stop, Right? And in that moment, what we're not doing is we're not affirming the hit, because this is where we would invite the child to say, but one of the things I want you to consider is that when we get really angry, maybe come find mom or dad. Come regulate with me, because it's really hard sometimes to know how to handle that anger alone. Now, I'm not trying to say affirmation is bad. Affirmation is really good. Like, it's very important. Like, don't take that away from this talk. Affirmation is totally key because it does allow us to know when we feel we can be seen. The next one is invitation versus demand, right? So this is about inviting the other person to consider your needs, inviting them to be aware of your perspective. If you really want to be... Uh, attentive to the state of a relationship you're in is being able to invite the other person to see your needs and how they try to attend to both your needs and theirs at the same time. Not that they just assume your needs or not that they just push them away but there's a sense of I see your need and I also have a need and how do we work together to meet both of them. And the last one is curiosity. A lot of times in relationships, right, there's behaviors we see the other person do and we're like, what in the world? Where did that come from, right? Like, did you not, did you not care? Do you not care about me? Were you not attentive to me? And one of the things that we miss in this is that we're not understanding what led them to those decisions. We didn't go into that place. And so what I really invite couples to be aware of is promoting curiosity. Help me understand, when we were having that argument, you got really heated in that moment and you yelled at me and you said you were really upset with me. What was going on for you in that moment? Could you, could you help me? Oh, I was really, really upset because it was the third time I told you and I feel like you didn't hear me. And I just got really tired because it doesn't seem like you hear me at all. Ah, well, I understand how you got really upset and I'm sorry that maybe I didn't hear that, but I appreciate you letting me know that. I wanna be more attentive. So this ability to kind of get curious, understand what's going on for our partner and how can I respond to that? How do I hold that? Now there are four main messages of communication that we wanna be attentive to in any relationship. This is what I feel, the trigger, the meaning behind that trigger and the invitation to meet my need. So for some of us, it's about just trying to figure out how am I responding in this moment? The when, right? If I'm going to say I feel, let me come up with a good example here. I got one. So um, when I felt unseen, when you came at me and told me you thought I hadn't been attentive to any of the housework, Because I've really been trying in these areas to be attentive, right? So even though I know you're upset, I'd appreciate that you could at least recognize the work that I did. So it's this ability to kind of be attentive to what's happening for you in this moment, being aware of what I can offer the other person and ask them to see. Now some things that we want to cultivate, some things we want to be aware as markers of where we are at in our relationship, where we're at in cultivating this safety to be able to have this communion is R. Are you available? Do you take time to be attentive to me, to take time to be attentive to us? Reliable, do you follow through? And if something comes up, do you communicate something comes up and follow through on how we readjust? Engaged. I value you. I value your time. I value your input. I put effort into knowing that. And the last one is empathy. The greatest kind of marker of where we're at in a relationship and where we're at with emotional safety is our ability to be empathetic in our partners. Because if there's no empathy, there can be no safety. Because I can't be understood. I can't be seen. And that requires us to pull back a little bit. So in kind of concluding here, some points I want to take away. I know we talked about a whole bunch, but some things I wanna to encourage you guys is if you're not in a relationship, you know, these are more for you than it is for those who are. But if you're not in a relationship, what I really want to encourage you guys is is to reach out, guys. We live in a digital age. I know how how easy and simplistic it has been, but if you're liking a girl, right, if you're rooted in that sonship and you've got good guys around you, that girl rejecting you, if if you reach out for him, she does not define you. Your relationship with your brothers define you. And so what I want to invite you guys to consider is to be able to take that risk, to be able to step out, and to know no matter what happens, it's my brothers who have me. For women, I want to invite you to consider, maybe he's not a guy that's like kind of in your personality type or kind of jives with you. I invite you to give him a try. Because one of the things, like I said, emotional safety is a lot of times more important than any personality type or jive that we find. Now, for women, I do want to comment that I want you to trust your gut. There's creeps out there, so I don't want you, I don't want you to feel obligated to, to do that. I mean, definitely be aware of your safety. Um, and the last thing that I want to leave with you guys, no matter where you're at in your journey, I invite you to go back and consider what we talked about in the beginning, which is how do I live out my sonship and my daughtership? Wherever I find myself. One of the talks that I got a privilege to listen to when I was at Franciscan University was led by Scott Hahn. And and I think he said something very profound in one of these talks. And it was the fact that if we wanna learn how to become good fathers and mothers, we have to relearn what it means to be a daughter and a son. That it's only when we allow ourselves to discover what it really means to be a son, to be loved as a son, to be loved as a daughter from our Heavenly Father? Do we truly understand how do we love as mother and father? So with that, kind of conclude my talk. I was told to have some discussion questions. So some questions that I invite you maybe discuss is, how do you feel like you can promote healthy and holy self-love in a relationship? What are some ways that you could continue to grow in your sonship or daughtership? And what do you think about the detachment research? Would you describe yourself as secure, dismissive, or preoccupied? All right.